Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcasts. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. And didn't Beverly do a wonderful job with the announcements? She's been... She's been helping us out and, and uh, doing a lot of different things. And we've, we found out, she, she started coming to our staff meetings, and, and we found out you know, she's like the eyes and the ears of this institution. <laughs> she knows what's going on. She knows, she knows who's here, who's not. So, you know, if you, if, if you decide that you want to cut out, Beverly's probably going to see you. So... So we're we're just we're we're so glad that 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 she wanted to to give announcements. She asked to give announcements. So so I, I thought that was that was really awesome. And uh, I want to point out something real quick. We, and and I know she gave the announcements, but out in the back we have a there's a box. Um, Danelle and I met with uh, a, a group here in town. They're called Casa. That um, they're they're uh, ad, child advocates, court appointed child advocates. For, for kids that are being removed from, from the, the custody of their parents and might be going into the foster care or, or, or some sort of alternate living situation. Um, we have a box out here in the back, and they're, they're asking for donations of gift cards because they, they end up getting kids sometimes that, that are coming out of homes and they don't have their clothing, or they might not have clothing that they can bring from where they live, Sometimes they have need of bedding. Um, we, we, there was a request recently for, for new mattresses for these, these kids that are coming into situations and they're being taken out, they're being protected. And so if you would like to help out, the, the, the box is there in the back. It's just a shoe box, but it's got instructions on there, and they're taking all kinds of gift cards for items that can be donated to these children. And we're, we're trying to... to to get involved with CASA as much as we can. We're also supporting New Beginnings Crisis Pregnancy Center, and that brings in a lot of, a lot of needs. There, there's a lot of a needy in our, in our community, and, and the more that we get acquainted with the community, the more we find out about these needs. And so uh, I just wanted to make sure that I highlighted that, and, and, and on your way out, you can, there's some, some pamphlets and things you can read about CASA and what they're doing in the community. But we'd just love for you to participate and help them out. So, so anyway, uh, that was the, the song, We Are Family, which was released by the female vocal group from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in 1979. These things make you feel old. I remember that just like it was yesterday. That was a... a their, really their first top 10 hit, 
And it was off their album that was by the name, We Are Family. And their success coincided with the success of the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team throughout the 1979 season. The Pirates were led by their captain, Willie Pops Stargell. Does anybody, anybody that are baseball fans, maybe you remember this? He was the ripe old age of 39. I just look at that and like, man, I, I remember thinking he was old and now I've gone beyond 39 and like, that, that wasn't so bad. Well, he discovered this song, We Are Family, while listening to a jukebox in a diner in Pittsburgh. And he decided he wanted to use it as a motivator for his his team. Well, when he heard the song, the Pirates were in dead last place in the NL East. It's, It's early April. They're already in last place. They're not doing very well. Well, they started playing the song. They played it for every game. They played it during batting practice. They played it during team meetings. They played it all the time, and it became their theme song. And as that storied season would go, they went from worst in the NL East to first. They made it to the playoffs. They played Cincinnati. This was back when they had the big red machine. Johnny Bench and all those guys. And they swept the Reds three games to zero. And then they went to the the World Series. They got down three games to one. And they came back and won the World Series four games to three. And Willie Stargell was the, the MVP of the championship series. He was the MVP of the World Series, and he was the MVP of the season. The most valuable player for the entire Major League system. Well, Willie was asked after the game when they won the World Series, did your team ever panic? I mean, you were in last place. Did you ever panic? Did you ever panic whenever you were down three games to one? And he responded, not at all. We're a family. And we have confidence in each other to get the job done. Well, I hope you'll forgive me for being a little nostalgic this morning. I watched Toy Story 4 a couple of weeks ago. And all the feels, you know. Well, my oldest daughter's wedding is 21 days from today. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel it. So, and this past week, we celebrated as a nation our 243rd Independence Day. 243 years of independence. And thank God we're still free. This Tuesday will be the 90th Major League Baseball All-Star Game. I love baseball. Yeah. Mom will will tell you. 
The Houston Astros are in first place at the All-Star break. It's a great time to be alive. (laughs) At least in my world, anyway. Well, about 40 years ago, I decided that I wanted to play baseball. I just finished the fourth grade, and everybody else my age had already been playing baseball for at least two or three years. I wasn't quite ready in first grade to to start playing baseball, and that was back before T-ball when they're throwing baseballs at you. And, you know, I I just wasn't ready for that. So I decided after my fourth grade school year that I wanted to play baseball. And I was assigned to the Malakoff Cowboys. I grew up in Malakoff, Texas, and we had a baseball team that was called the Cowboys. The other team was the Indians. And I got assigned to the Cowboys, and the Cowboys weren't as good as the Indians were. Well, my, my coach was a new guy to the neighborhood. His name was Stan Stinovich. We called him Steno. He had three boys, and two of the boys were teammates of mine from elementary school all the way through high school. Well, when I I came out to play, Coach Steno knew that I hadn't played baseball before. I mean, you could kind of tell. You know, the guys who've played, you know, they, the way they stand, the way they, the way they hold the bat, the way they swing, the way they throw, everything like that. And so he, he, he took a lot of interest in me, and he, and he helped me. And, and, and really, he was, he was very helpful to me in, in playing baseball. And I played baseball throughout high school and into college. Well, he told me the very first practice, if you want to play this game, you're going to have to play catch every chance you can get. You're going to have to play pickup games as often as you can. You're going to have to watch it on TV. Now, this was back before ESPN. Very few of us can remember what it was like before ESPN. And for, to watch baseball, there was the game of the week, which was on Saturdays. Does anybody remember that? If we're talking a long time ago... Well, they, they had the baseball game of the week, and usually they didn't really have a lot of variety because, you know, it's a, it's a ratings thing. They want to make sure as many people can watch who, who would watch. And so when the, the Pirates got hot, they were on almost every week. And so this coincided with my interest in baseball, and I started learning the names of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Kent Tuculvey and... Uh, Phil Garner, who ended up being the the manager of the Houston Astros when they went to the World Series the first time. And of course, Willie Stargell, Dave Parker. I mean, the names are all coming back. Well, I, I watched these guys, and at the games, the song, We Are Family, is playing in the background. You can hear it in the stadium. We Are Family, just blared over the speakers. And as they were making their rise from worst to first, I was watching them on Saturdays, and I was was keeping up with this team, and I followed their success throughout the season. Well, anyway, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark today, and the title of my message is, We Are Family. And I dug up this picture on the internet. I was trying to find the most diverse-looking family that I could find. And I, if you look here, and I kind of blurred it a little bit just so that you know, if, if there was like some kind of, of issue about 
whoever was on there, maybe they were wanted by the law or something, that, that, that they wouldn't get reported. But, but this is a pretty diverse looking family. And I think just about all of us come from a pretty diverse background. You know, we have, have the in-laws and the outlaws in our, in, in, at least in my family line. And so, um, but in, in talking about family, our passage today is, is out of Mark chapter 3. Now, last week I was talking about how Jesus had, he, his family came to try to get him out of the situation that he was in. He was, he was surrounded by his disciples. He was surrounded by all these people. They were, there were so many people around. They really couldn't move. They, they couldn't even eat because there were so many people that were packed around. And so his family, Jesus' family, was concerned about what he was doing. They were actually concerned. The, the, the Scripture actually implies that they were concerned about his sanity. They thought that he might actually be going off the rails. Because more and more people are coming around and it seemed like he was, he's gathering this movement. They, they were concerned that it was a cult, possibly. And, and also, living this, this life as a revolutionary, it, it kind of had a, a short shelf life. You know, revolutionaries in, in Israel... They usually ended up getting killed. They ran afoul with, with the government. And so, you know, they're causing a lot of noise, causing a lot of stir. And that usually led to them being hauled off to, to prison and, and being killed. And for a family that had someone who was tied up in such a situation, that's kind of a, an embarrassing kind of thing. If you've ever had someone who got in trouble with the law and you've and that information leaked out, you, you, you really didn't want everybody to know about it. Because, you know, what might people say? What might they think? Well, Mark says that Jesus' family wanted to save their brother. And that was their intent. Well, they tried once before, and then he got involved with the, with the Pharisees. And last week, the Pharisees were, were saying that he was demon-possessed, and that he was doing all this stuff through the power of Satan. And so, so they, they, they kind of just stepped back. Well, the passage today is right after this. And they decided that they wanted to do a different strategy. So verse 31 says that on another occasion, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. And there was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who's my mother? And who are my brothers? Then he looked around and, and around those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, we might look at this and think, what, what, what's the big deal? I mean, who wouldn't want to be, make the, or who wouldn't want to make the time to meet with their family? But when we look at this, this passage in context with the previous passage, they really do go together. And Jesus' family was concerned about the direction he was going before 
And after the religious leaders accused him of, of being demon-possessed, they felt like they, they had to do something. And I imagine that Jesus' family thought that this was their last chance, that they had to talk to him, and, and th- if they didn't get a chance to, this, this, this might be it. So Mary and Jesus' siblings found someone, and they asked him to go inside. Would you just go in and, and, and get Jesus to come outside? Now Mark indicates that he was, he was teaching, but I, I have a feeling Jesus being Jesus, he knew what was going on and he knew why they had come in. Your family wants you to come out and see them, the guy told him, and I'm sure the guy meant well, but I don't think he understood what was really going on because Jesus' family was not on the same page as Jesus was. I mentioned last week that, that scholars say that Jesus' siblings didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And Mary, even with her experience of having an angel tell her that she was going to have, have Jesus and that He was going to be the Son of God, I'm, I'm sure she may have had her doubts just because of, of the interaction she was having with the siblings. And so they wanted this opportunity to speak to him them, them, themselves. Well, this moment that what was going on between, between the family members, it was kind of similar to what ended up happening later when Jesus told the disciples that he was going to go to, the, go to Jerusalem to die. You can find that story in Mark chapter 8 and, and Matthew 16. But in this, in this story, Jesus tells His disciples, I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem and I'm about to die. Well, both accounts say that Peter pulled Jesus aside and began to reprimand Him. Don't say such things. You can't die. I mean, the, the passage doesn't tell us exactly whatever it was that, Jesus, that, that Peter said, but it was something along the lines of, this, this, can't, this can't be. It can't be right. And so he's telling Jesus this, and Jesus responds with something that I think we all think is kind of harsh. He turns to Peter and he says, Get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from, from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, isn't that harsh? I mean, I don't know about you, I've never been called Satan before, but I, I think that would be, that'd be pretty, pretty hard to handle. Well, what, what was going on here? Peter didn't really get what was going on. Jesus wasn't some weirdo revolutionary person. He was really the Son of God. And until his family could recognize that, Nothing that Jesus did would make any sense. Just like for Peter, going to the cross didn't make any sense because he didn't understand who Jesus was. But we find out in in terms of church history later on that Jesus' brother, one, one of his brothers anyway, one called James, He was stoned to death because he wouldn't deny that Jesus was the Son of God. 
And we know that Peter, he eventually came around and he said, when Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Peter said, well, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded to Peter. He told him, you didn't get this on your own. The Holy Spirit revealed this to you. God revealed this to you. You've recognized it. Now we're on the same page. But at this particular point in time, Jesus' family wasn't quite there yet. And Peter wasn't quite there yet. One of my favorite verses in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, and I think we all can just about quote this together. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Well, I learned that verse from my college football coach. His name was David Schrader. He passed away about five years ago after a long battle with, with dementia and, and Alzheimer's. Well, back in 1988, we had a pretty good football team. At every team meeting, at every pregame meal, coach would quote this scripture to us. And we quoted it along with him. And that's how I learned it. And he told us, if we want everything to work together, you have to commit yourself to God's purposes and trust His plan for your life. Well, after that season, we found out that some of the players on our team had been eligible to play that year, and we had to forfeit all of our games. We went to the national playoffs. We finished number two in the country, and all of that was for naught. Coach Schrader ended up stepping down that year. Players lost scholarships and left the school. I ended up being one of the kids that left. I, wasn't, I didn't have a scholarship, but I was... I was anticipating getting one the next season. But the, the, the program was in shambles, and so it, everything just kind of went up in the air. Well, it just so happened at that point in time that I was, I, I, the Lord was dealing with me about going in ministry, and, and so I was, I was looking at, at my, my course options, and, and I ended up transferring to a Bible college in Waxahachie, where on the first day of class, on the first day of school, I saw Danelle, and everything else went that direction. Well, one of the first sermons that I heard in our, in our college chapel that year, and this was coming off of all this disappointment and all this hurt, you know, because I saw Coach Schrader as, as another father figure, you know, and, and whenever I found out this was going on, and, and I honestly don't think... He knew what was happening. I think it was a it was a it was a clerical error and whatever. But but these guys were ineligible, and and so um, he he took the fall for it, and and it it affected the entire program. Well, I'm dealing with all these emotions and disappointment and frustration, and yes, I'm in I'm I'm in a new direction, but you know there's still all this stuff that just trying to sort out. Well, I'd only learned. Romans 8.28. And the guy who was, who was speaking that day read Romans 8.29. And I want to read that to you this morning. 
For God knew His people in advance. And He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, I think you see what, what I'm, I'm, I want you to want to point out. God wanted to expand His family. I mean, it could have just been Him and Jesus. And, and I'm sure they would have been fine with, with each other. You know, they had all of heaven. They had all of, all of eternity. They had all the, the entire universe at their disposal. But God chose to create men and women for relationship. And yes, things didn't work out. We know, we know what happened in the garden and, and we've been dealing with the repercussions ever since. But even then, God had a plan to bring us all to Himself. He wanted to have a big family. And He wanted that family be, to be made up of people who put their faith and trust in Jesus as the Savior of the world. And even today, we know the Scripture that says God is not willing that anyone should perish, that anyone not have relationship with Him. He just wants everyone to come to repentance. Come into right relationship with Him. Well, in his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul said in chapter 4, when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, Now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. That day that Jesus was sitting around, and His parents were outside, Mark says He looked around and He looked at the people that were in the room there with Him. Some scholars say that was his 12 disciples. Others say that that was, that was a larger number of people. We really don't know. But Jesus scanned the room and he said, These are my brothers. These are my sisters. This is my mother. This is my father. These, this is our family. We are family together. Anyone who does the will of the Father their family. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. And what He also wants us to understand is that He wants to expand the family. It's not just enough just to have us. Yeah, we, 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 like, we like having our, our friends with us. We like, like to worship with the people that we know. But He wants to expand Beyond just us. He wants us to expand beyond our four walls. He wants us to expand beyond our, our own movement. 
as a church. That we can have fellowship and relationship with other denominations. That we can have relationship with, with, with people that aren't like us. And he made it possible through what Jesus did on the cross. That, that's the whole point of what he did. And, and God, in, in all his foresight, his purpose was to bring everyone in to be part of his family. So stand with me this morning.